The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast Scenario is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Out the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by the Hockey Gambling Podcast new YouTube page. The hockey guys are giving away a hoodie to celebrate their new YouTube channel. Register today at sportscampodcast.com slash HGP. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast. Now, it is currently Thursday afternoon, January 4th. I'm your host, always Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode. Time to actually get into some quarterfinal action in Brisbane and in Hong Kong. Bit of uncharted territory for us because normally we skip the quarterfinals for the 250s and the 500s. But I did see some feedback over the last year. Uh, requesting more episodes, and I did decide that adding a quarterfinal episode for these events would make more sense. So as a result, we are going to start covering the quarterfinals for the ATP 250s and the 500s, which is why we are here for this episode for Brisbane and Hong Kong. But either way, point is before we get into any of the actual picks of all eight quarterfinal matches, we're going to cover each of them. And before we get into the lock and dog picks, do you want to briefly touch upon our picks from the last two episodes a reminder we did the outrights for brisbane and for hong kong in separate episodes so as a result we did not actually have time to recap any of those lock and dog picks so to recap what happened in brisbane ended up splitting we ended up having rune to win in straight sets as our lock at minus 115 didn't get there got off to a bad start apparently needed to use the bathroom early in that match, and as a result, he was kind of out of sorts. But either way, he ended up winning in three. Bad start for him early, but then he caught on late, and he kind of buried Purcell in the final two sets. Didn't do us any good, though, as we picked up a loss there. For the dog, one as we had Arnaldi and Fuksovic's over. Two and a half sets at plus 145. Kind of an annoying match, though, because with bad weather, the match got delayed for about a day. Uh, so the point is we had to sweat it out a little bit based on just waiting for the weather to clear up. But Arnaldi continues to be a three-set magnet. And he ended up winning the match in a three-set uh, war. So either way, point has got there a plus 145. As for the Hong Kong picks, we split again. But this time, we got the lock right and the dog wrong. For the lock, we had Kotov Moneyline at minus 105. Never in doubt. I have no idea why Borges was a favorite. Borges, not a good hardcore player on the ATP level. And Kotov is. And Kotov buried him as he won in straight sets. And for the dog, we tried to run it back with the over two and a half sets with Batista, Agut, and Morozin at plus 155 for the over two and a half sets. Didn't get there as Batista, Agut ended up burying Morozin as he won in straight sets. So recapping briefly the two episodes, we pretty much broke even as we won one lock and we won one dog. So either way, point is, hopefully we end up sweeping this episode. We did technically make some money uh, because the dog price of plus 145 gave us a slight profit, but still we broke even. Hopefully we sweep in this episode. Before we get into any of the actual match previews, do want to briefly touch upon what has happened over the last couple of days in the tennis landscape. I'm going to start off with the one event that I did not talk about, which is the United Cup, because there were a couple of newsworthy stories, in my opinion at least, that I'm going to touch upon right now. For starters, we got to talk about Djokovic, because Djokovic did lose in a singles match as he lost to Dimonauer in straight sets. 
the real story of the match was Djokovic's wrist injury, which was bothering him in the previous matchup against Laheshka. He won the first set handily, looked like he was going to bury Laheshka, and then his wrist started acting up, and Laheshka won the second set tiebreak. Djokovic, though, regained his composure and was able to bury Laheshka in the third set. But the point is the wrist did not heal, and you saw him struggling with the wrist all afternoon, and you saw Dimonauer beat him. Now, I got to give props to Dimonauer. I'm not going to dismiss everything that he did because Djokovic was injured. The point is Dimonauer played well, and he's looked really good. So props to Dimonauer for getting the job done following that US, following that uh, Australian Open embarrassment against Djokovic last year. But the point is Djokovic's wrist is an issue, and he mentioned it in the press conference that he was still going to give credit to Dimonauer but he had to at least acknowledge he was injured. The point is, I'm not going to panic about Djokovic's wrist. It's not ideal. He's battled injuries in years past. We saw him, for example, with the leg injury last year, and he only dropped one set in the in the entire Australian Open. So he can still definitely win the major here. But the point is, he's probably not going to play in any singles matches for the tune-up events leading up to the Australian Open. So don't expect to see Djokovic in action for the next week or two prior to the Grand Slam event. So keep that in mind. Props to Dimonauer, though. He's been good, but I wanted to at least mention that. I do think Djokovic is injured. I don't think he was faking it. The fact that he had some injury issues in the previous match, which he won, I think it's bothering him. So hopefully he heals, and hopefully he's ready to defend his Australian Open title. But the point is, we probably won't see him for the next week or two. As for the other takeaway that I had... Even though France did beat Norway to advance to the United Cup semifinals, Rude looked really good, which is a very nice sight to see because we know Rude, despite making a French Open final last year, was pretty underwhelming. He buried Manorino. That was a destruction, and Rude looks really sharp, so it's a good sign. I know after he had a very good 2022, he had a pretty shaky 2023, and it does seem like Rude might be back. So keep an eye out for him, but he looked very good. Wanted to mention it because I was very impressed by how he played. Besides that, to transition back into Brisbane and Hong Kong, the real story so far has been Nadal. He looks fantastic, just simply put. He's dominated in the matches he's been in, beat team. First set was a bit of a struggle, but the last three sets have been easy. Uh, the last set against team, and then he buried Kubler on a Thursday morning. He looks great. Just simply put, no signs of rust, no signs of really any struggle whatsoever. He's been serving well. The forehand looks good. The backhand looks good. A lot of power. And Nadal's court coverage, maybe you could argue, hasn't looked as good as it has in previous years. He's also older, so that just makes sense naturally. But he looks great. And if you're asking me right now who I think can win the tournament, I probably would pick Nadal, to be honest. I think he's looked that good. As for our actual future picks, though, in those two events, haven't really worked out too well. Uh, we tried to kind of fade the favorites in Brisbane, and that has backfired as a lot of the favorites have advanced. So that did not work out well. As for Hong Kong, we still have Rublev, who's alive. Unfortunately, Kashanov did lose in three sets to Rusevori, which didn't help. But we also have Kotov as our long shot, who is still alive and kicking. So hopefully we end up uh, winning an outright, but... To be honest, if it's not Hong Kong, it's not going to be anywhere because Brisbane is a lost cause already. We lost all of our outrights in that event. So the point is we're going to preview the quarterfinals and hopefully we end up uh, getting into a nice groove to carry over into the rest of the Aussie hardcore season. Either way, though, time to quit stalling. Time to actually get, uh, get into the matches. Starting off with the only matches taking place on Thursday, uh, 
night Eastern time. You have two matches taking place in Brisbane. You have Safulan taking on Arnaldi, and you have Rune taking on Duckworth. So starting off with the odds on those two, you have Safulan as a two-and-a-half game favorite at minus 125. Arnaldi plus two-and-a-half games is plus 105. As for the money line, Safulan's minus 225, and Arnaldi is plus 195. As for the over-under, 22-and-a-half games, over is minus 115, under is minus 105. As for the set wagering, Safulan in straight sets is plus 115. Arnaldi to win a set is minus 145. Over two and a half sets in this match is available at plus 140. So for the sake of the path for both players, not the easiest path for both guys. Safulan actually had to fight off five match points against Papyron in the previous round, which he did. Now, in in Papyron's defense, they were all on Safulan's serve. Uh, but Papyron was up a break in the uh, third set and then choked it. So the point is, Safulin did have to break back with Papyron trying to serve it out for the match. He did, and Safulin eventually ran away with the breaker as he won that 1-7-3. So Safulin's been in good form, beat Shelton in the first round in three as well. So you've seen a couple of marathons for Safulin, which he's been on the right side of. I still love his game. I think he's a very solid player. And I do think he's in line to win the ATP title at some point over the next calendar year. As for Arnaldi, he's looked good too. Ended up winning in three sets against Fuksovics, and he ended up winning in three sets against Klein. Both matches were long and very physical, but Arnaldi held his nerve and was able to get the job done. So Safulin, I think, is the better player. He should be favored. I guess the question I have for Arnaldi is how impressed I should be by his path, because he beat Fuksovics, who's a good player when healthy. I'll give him props there. And then he beat Klein, and Klein has been kind of an average player at this point in his career. So you can argue Arnaldi has beaten decent competition, not great competition. You can argue Papyron is a pretty hit-or-miss guy, but he's definitely better than Klein is. And Papyron did win an ATP title last year, albeit on clay. But it is it was a home country match for Papyron, so the crowd was on his side, and Safulin overcame that as he ended up winning in three. And beating Shelton's impressive anyway, since Shelton made a deep run to the U.S. Open semifinal. We know that he won his first ever ATP 500 title at the end of last year, and Safulin beat him. So I think Safulin's a better player. It might be a competitive match, but I do think if I had to look for a potential angle here, I think I would lean to Safulin minus two and a half games. I don't feel great about it. I feel like most people will blindly take the over at two and a half sets, but I do think that Safulin's the better player, and I do think his game can give Arnaldi problems. Arnaldi's not a very good server. I think Safulin can get some advantage in that area, but I do think in terms of the actual rallies, might be even. I do think Safulin's net game can be the deciding factor in some of these rallies, since we know Safulin is not afraid of hitting big shots from the baseline and then charging in to end points quickly. I do like that actual element of his game, and I do think Safulin is going to end up winning this match. So give me Safulin, minus two and a half games at minus 125. Moving on to the next match, you have Duckworth taking on Rune. Rune's had a couple of difficult matches as well. I mentioned that he had a three-set battle against uh, Purcell in the first round, which wasn't really that nerve-wracking, but the point is he ended up getting the job done in three. Then he had a fun match against Shevchenko where that ended up going three, and Rune looked fantastic in that third set as he really took control of it early, and he won that set 6-2. Now, as for uh, Duckworth, he has gone through qualifying, and then he actually has done well in the main draw. He was fortunate that Hoffman ended up upsetting Korda, 
Speaking of which, we had Korda's an outright, so that didn't work out. Uh, but Hoffman ended up beating Korda, and then Duckworth won a pretty entertaining battle there where he got killed in the first set, then he ended up winning the second set 6-1, and then he won the third set 7-6. So Duckworth came back and was able to win the final set via tiebreak. The point is Rune, though, is the much better player, and I do think that Rune should win this in straight sets. The problem is I don't trust Rune ever. Uh, to actually do what he's supposed to do, especially after we had him in the first episode of the calendar year. Rune is still going to be a head case. His level will still go up and down. When he's on, though, he's really, really good. But straight sets is minus 165. That is a little bit too expensive for me. Now, Rune is minus 520 on the money line. Duckworth is plus 415. As for the spread, you have Rune minus 4 at minus 115, and Duckworth plus 4. At minus 105. Over under in the match, you have 21 and a half games at minus 120. The under is even money, and 20 and a half is at minus 155 for the over, and the under is plus 125. To be honest, I really don't see much that I actually like in this match. I'm not going to bet it. Rune should win comfortably. Do I trust him to? Not really. But I don't think Duckworth's that good. So I think looking at this matchup, I'm going to lean to the over in games at 21 and a half. I don't feel great about it once again. So I think I am going to pass entirely, but that's where I'm going to lean. And that's going to wrap it up for the only two Brisbane matches taking place on Thursday night, Eastern time. Now, moving on to the other matches taking place early Friday morning, we're going to stick with Brisbane. Then we'll move on to Hong Kong. So for the other two Brisbane matches, you have one taking place at 1.30 a.m. Eastern time between Hitchikata and Dimitrov, and that is going to be what should be a pretty fun match. I have to admit, though, Dimitrov's been fantastic so far in this event. Nadal's taken all the headlines, but Dimitrov has been rolling, and we'll see what happens. Massive favorite here, though, Dimitrov is minus 714, and Hitchikata is plus 514. As for the actual spread, Dimitrov minus 4.5 games is minus 120, Hitchikata plus four and a half games is even money. Over-under in games at 21 and a half. The over is even money. The under is minus 120. As for 20 and a half, the over is minus 125. The under is minus 105. For the set wagering, Dimitrov to win in straight sets is minus 170. So not much value there. And the match to go two, three sets is at plus 195. So to go through quickly the head-to-head between both players, they've never faced off before. So that's not going to be an issue. To go through the path, though, both players, Hichikata did have a pretty fun first-round matchup against Kokonakis, and then he ended up beating Makic in a final set tiebreak. That went three, came back from a set down. So nice job by him after kind of choking away that first set. As for Dimitrov, he has been completely dialed in, lost the first set to Murray, then he bounced back and ended up winning that match in three, then he killed Altmaier and won that one 6-1-6-2 in the following round. Dimitrov should win. As all of you know, I think Dimitrov's a head case, but he tends to struggle later in these events against good competition. Hitchikata's been in good form. I just think Dimitrov has too much variety. Uh, with his slice game, his volley game, his ability to really change things up. Hichikata's a good rallier, but he's kind of just a rallier, and that's it. He doesn't really bring any unique attributes to the table. Now, he is the home country guy, so the crowd will be in his corner, but after watching Dimitrov kill uh, Altmaier on Thursday, I got to assume he wins this comfortably. I think he wins in straight sets. If I had to actually pick an angle for this match, I'd lean to the under, at 21 and a half games. For me, this kind of screams 6-4-6-3 type match to me for Dimitrov, but I think he's been in better form. He was very good 
in the back half of 2023. Uh, once again, despite not winning a title. But the point is, Dimitrov's been in good form that carried over into this year. Hichikata's been good too, but I do think Dimitrov is a guy that I really don't want to fade right now. I might not back him due to lack of trust, but I do think that he is the much better player in this matchup. I don't think he looks like it in this matchup. Give me Dimitrov to win in straight sets, but I do like the under 21 and a half games as a cheap alternative at minus 120. As for the other Brisbane match, you have a matchup between Thompson and Nadal. Similar story to the Dimitrov match because you have a home country guy that's a massive underdog in Jordan Thompson. Nadal's minus 709. Thompson is plus 509. As for the spread, Nadal minus 4.5 games is minus 125. Thompson plus 4.5 games is plus 105. As for the total, the over is 21.5 at plus 110. The under is minus 130. If you want the 20.5, you can get the over at minus 130, and the under at even money. As for the set wagering, Nadal minus one and a half sets is minus 175. Thompson win a set is plus 145, and the match to go three is at two to one. Now, I mentioned before, Nadal has been completely dominant so far in his Brisbane run. To go through the head-to-head, Nadal is 2-0 lifetime. He's never dropped a set. Did go to a tiebreak back in 2020 against Thompson. They faced off in Roland Garros, though, in 2022. And Nadal did win every set 6-2, uh, 6-2, 6-2. So the point is, that was on clay. Doesn't really matter. But Nadal's been in great form. Thompson has had a pretty interesting path so far because he was able to beat Vukic in straight sets. Then he had a walkover because we actually gave out Umber to potentially win this event, and he got injured as Thompson ended up advancing. So Thompson only played one match so far to get to this point, but Nadal's a freight train from what I've seen the first two matches he's played in. Going through the actual stats, though, I mean, the serve's been good. He's been dominant everywhere. Beat Kubler 6-1-6-2. I really just can't go against Nadal here. I think Nadal buries him. Thompson maybe gives him a bit of a run for his money in the first set, Maybe get a 6-4 in there, but I think Nadal is going to settle in. He's going to outlast Thompson in these rallies. Thompson has a decent serve, not really that much of a threat in terms of rallying. He doesn't have much firepower, and if you want to go into long rallies with Nadal, good luck to you, because you're probably going to be outmatched. Give me Nadal to win this comfortably. I don't mind the under in this match. I don't mind the minus four and a half games potentially, but I really see a 6-3-6-3 type match here. Maybe like 6-4-6-1. It could be very lopsided, but give me Nadal to once again get the job done and for this match to go under the posted total at 21 and a half at minus 130. Now, as for the Hong Kong matchups, we're going to start off with the match taking place at midnight Eastern time. You have Kotov taking on Rusevori, an unexpected matchup. Kotov was expected by me. I did not expect Rusevori to get past Kishanov, but hopefully uh, you end up seeing Kotov win because we do have him to win the event. Uh, Rusevori is the favorite at minus 156. Kotov is the dog at plus 136. As for the game spread, you have Rusevori minus 2 at minus 114. Kotov plus 2 is minus 106. Over-under in games at 22.5. The over is minus 112. Under is minus 108. As for the alternative overs, you can get 21.5. Over is minus 145. Under is plus 115. For set wagering, uh, it's pretty expensive for either guy to win a set, so I'm not going to bother 
But if you want the prices for either guy to win in straight sets, you can get the match to end in straight sets at minus 165. Match to go three at plus 135. Kotov to win in straight sets is three to one. Rusevor to win in straight sets is plus 150. So to go through the head-to-head between these two players, uh, they have faced off two times in their careers. Rusevori is 2-0. However, they've not faced off since 2019. So that really doesn't mean anything. As Kotov has kind of been a late bloomer, but he has been a solid player over the last couple of months. Once again, should have won the ATP title last year before choking away that match to Monfi in the final. But I'm going to toss out the head-to-head because they were four years ago, so I'm not going to bother. Now, Kotov's been in great form. He was able to beat Borges in straight sets, and then he beat Musetti in straight sets. I've said in the last episode, I think Musetti is not a good hardcore player, and I did think Kotov would be in line to beat him, and he did pretty comfortably. Now, Rusevori has been winning, but not easily. Went to three sets against Bonzi, struggled in the first set, then buried him 6-2, 6-1 in the final two sets. And Kashanov was kind of the... Uh, it was kind of just an interesting matchup where the first set was up in the air, Second set was one-sided in favor of Kashanov, and the third set was one-sided in favor of Rusevori as he won in three. The point is for this match, I think I like the over in this one. I think both players can really have some moments in this match in the rallies because Rusevori has a lot of firepower, but he also does commit some unforced errors. Kotov's serve isn't the greatest, but neither is Rusevori's, so I can see a decent amount of breaks in this matchup. But I think I like the over, especially for sets at plus 135. I can see this being a very even match, and I do think that with Rusevori going to three sets in each of the first two rounds, that does suggest to me that he's never really in line to blow anybody out. I think that Kotov is good enough to hang in there, give Rusevori his best fight, maybe even win the match, but I do think that there is some value on the over two and a half sets and the over in games for this match. Moving on to the next quarterfinal, you have Offner taking on Batista Agut. For this one, Batista Agut is a pretty decent favorite. He's looked very good as well. He's minus 202 as the favorite, and Offner is plus 172. As for the spread, Batista Agut is minus 3 at minus 108. Offner is plus 3 at minus 112. As for the actual games uh, for total purposes, the over 22 and a half is minus 103. Under is minus 117. Match to go three sets is plus 145. Batista Agut to win in straight sets is plus 130. Now, Batista Good, I mentioned a second ago, has looked very comfortable so far in this event. He ended up burying Morozin, and he was able to beat Sarundolo in straight sets. As for Offner, he had a very easy first-round match against McDonald, then had an absolute war against Struff, which was a three-set marathon, all tie breaks, and Offner ended up getting the job done. Then again, I don't know how good Struff actually was entering that match, because he should have lost to Chilich in the first round, and Chilich blew a whopping nine match points. Nine match points. A couple on his own serve. So Chilich came back, choked away a massive opportunity, and you ended up seeing Struff run with it before losing in the three. Offner's a good player. He's in the top 50. Uh, pretty crafty lefty. But the point is, I do think, look at this overall matchup, Batista Gut is in a good spot, especially based on the lack of rest time for both players. Uh, sorry, I meant Offner's actually a righty. Apologies there. But Offner's a righty, kind of a crafty player, the Austrian. But I do think that Batista Gut is in better form. And I am concerned about the overall spot for Offner because he just had a three-set marathon with a no days off in between. So you're arguing about where this match might end up 
especially if it turns into a bit of a war, the fact that Offner was on the court for two hours and 46 minutes in his last match with no off time in between, while Batista Agu was able to beat Sarandolo in straight sets, it definitely benefits the older player. So I like Batista Agut in this one. Maybe Offner wins a set, but I do think that Batista Agut is in a good spot to potentially win this in, in uh, straight sets. I don't mind the plus 130. I think that Batista Agut's also beaten some good competition. I think that Offner might be a bit fatigued after what happened, especially early in the calendar year uh, with that three-set marathon. So I am going to go with Batista Agut to get the job done, and I am going to lean to him in straight sets at around plus 130. Moving on to the next match, you have probably the second best match on the card as you have Tiafo taking on Shang. Now, Tiafo's looked very comfortable. Shang has not. That's a separate story, though. Uh, Tiafo is currently a big favorite as Tiafo's minus 352, and you're looking at Shang being plus 282. Tiafo minus four games is plus 104. Shang plus four games is minus 124. If you want the alt games, you can get Tiafo minus three and a half games at minus 140. Shang plus three and a half games is plus 110. Over under for the actual games in the match 22. The over is minus 111. The under is minus 109. 21 is at minus 150 to the over, and the under is plus 120. Now, if you want Tiafo to win in straight sets, you can get that at minus 130. And if you want Cheng to win a set, you can get that at even money. So starting off with Tiafo with the head-to-head, he is 2-0 against Shang, faced off two times last year, and Tiafo won comfortably without dropping a set in both of those matches. One in the Aussie Open, as you ended up seeing Tiafo win in straight sets, and they faced off in Washington, as Tiafo did win that match 6-2, 6-3. So Shang has really not put up much of a fight against Tiafo in the previous two meetings. As for the actual path of both players, Tiafo only played one match, Pekak Manovich in straight sets. As for Shang, he has had two seriously long matches, beat Dejir in a final set tiebreak, fought off a couple match points in that one, and ended up beating Dezanshulp in a final set tiebreaker as well. That Dezanshulp match ended up taking three hours and 31 minutes, which is insane, but there was a day off in between. So it's not as bad of a scheduling spot as Offner, who has to go back-to-back. So fatigue should not really be an issue. Shang is still a teenager. He's still very young. Three hours and 31 minutes, though. That's such a massive amount of time. I think that Tiafo is going to win comfortably. I think that you're looking at, simply put, Tiafo having too much firepower. You're looking at Dezan Chulp, who probably should have won ATP title last year before choking that massive lead in the third set away against Rune, if you remember that. But the point is, I do think that Dezan Chulp is a worse player than Tiafo by a somewhat decent margin. And I do think that Tiafo already dominating the two meetings does tell me that he is a bad matchup for Shang in general. He has a good serve, a lot of variety. Shang is a very talented 18-year-old lefty, but I do think the serve's an issue, and I do think Tiafo should be able to win more free points, and he should be able to constantly pressure Shang's service games, which should result in a straight-set win. So I'm going to go with Tiafo to win in straight sets at minus 130. I think he wins comfortably. Give me some type of 6-4-6-4 type of match. But give me Tiafo to win without dropping a set. Now, moving on to the final match of the episode, you have what should be the match of the day, as you have Rublev taking on uh, Fees, which should be a fun battle after both guys had some issues in the previous round, despite not dropping a set. Now, to go through the actual prices here, Rublev money line is minus 290. 
Phil's money line is plus 240. Uh, you're looking at Rublev minus three and a half games at plus 105. Fees plus three and a half games is minus 125. Over under for games at 22 and a half. Over is minus 113. Under is minus 107. As for set wagering, Rublev to win in straight sets is minus 105. Fees to win a set is minus 125. Match to go three is plus 150. So I just mentioned a second ago, both guys didn't exactly look that sharp in the previous round. Rublev did beat Brody in his first match of the event, 6-4-7-6. Fought off a couple of set points, was down a break, uh, with Brody actually trying to serve it out for the second set, and Rublev bounced back as he won. As for Fees, uh, he ended up winning the first match in three against Gojo, and then had a pretty stressful straight set win against Husler, which he won 7-5-7-5. Now, Fees is a very good up-and-coming French player who should, at some point in his career, be top 10, top 15. I think he's that talented. But I do think, look at this overall matchup, Rublev has more firepower, but we know Rublev can be a head case at times. I see a very close match. I think that Fies can get the job done in theory. Am I picking him to win? No. But I do think Rublev can drop a set. He probably should have dropped the set to Brody in Thursday's match, and I'm not a Brody fan at all. So I think for the sake of this matchup, I'm going to lean to Fees to win a set at minus 125. I don't mind the over two and a half sets as well at plus 150. It's a good price at plus 150. Rublev should win, but I do think that Fees has the game to make life difficult for Rublev on occasion. So as a result, I think he could maybe steal a set, give me Fees to keep this close, and give me the over two and a half sets at plus 150. That's going to wrap it up, though, for the overall previews of the eight quarterfinal matchups. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks, but for any of that, can have a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up, use the promo code SGPN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. To Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by the Hockey Gambling Podcast because they just launched a new YouTube channel, and as a result, they're giving away a Hockey Gambling Podcast hoodie to celebrate. So enter the contest at sportsgampodcast.com slash HGP, sportsgampodcast.com slash HGP. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I personally love attending sporting events in person, and it can be very difficult to actually find a ticket a provider that you can trust. That changed, though, for me when I found Game Time, because Game Time is the fast and easy way to get tickets to pretty much any event you want, whether it's sports, concerts, if you want to go to a comedy show, for example, Game Time does have you covered. I do think my favorite feature with the actual platform is the images of seat views, which basically means that if you are going to think about buying a ticket, it will show you the exact view you would be getting if you purchase that ticket so you know exactly what you are going to be paying for, which can prevent you from getting an obstructed view, etc. But I do recommend using it. And they also have very solid flash deals for football, basketball, baseball, and concerts, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or uh, and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Send tickets out the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, 
and use code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CFBX for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this end of all season with Hall of Fame Bets. Sports Center Analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL NBA and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea, no matter how ridiculous it might seem, into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. So stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN. You can 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the quarterfinal matchups in Brisbane and in Hong Kong. Now it's time for the lock and dog pick. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup between Nadal and Thompson. Give me the under 21 and a half games at minus 130. Thought about the spread and Nadal minus four and a half, but you also pick up a 6-4-6-4 draw if you take the under instead. Point is, I think Nadal is going to win comfortably, uh, but I am going to go with the under because I do think that, once again, Thompson is pretty fortunate to be here. The fact that Umber ended up getting injured and Thompson got a walkover in that second round, I think Umber's a better player than Thompson. But Nadal's been on the warpath. He's been dominant the last two matches he buried a local guy in the last round as he killed Kubler, and I do think that he's in line to win this match comfortably. Thompson really doesn't possess any unique attributes that I think can give Nadal problems. He's a decent server. That's really it. I just think in a, in a lot of long rallies, Nadal's going to have the edge, and I do think that with his firepower and the serve, which has been pretty good so far in this event and the way that Nadal's defended his own serve, I think Thompson's outmatched here. So give me the under 21 and a half games at minus 130. It's kind of a similar way to take Nadal in straight sets, but instead of paying minus 175, you are paying 130. So you're saving 45 cents. Yes, you are sacrificing like a 7-5 or a 7-6, you know, that kind of thing. But still, Nadal, based on how he's looked so far in this event, has looked like arguably the best player here. And I do think he's in line for another really good performance. Give me the under 21 and a half games as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go to Hong Kong. I'm going to look at a matchup between Kotov and Rusevori. Give me the over two and a half sets at plus 135. Even though Kotov has looked dominant so far in this event, Musetti, I've mentioned before, not exactly in great form and not a great hardcore player. And he ended up winning comfortably against Borges in the first round, who is really not good on hardcore as an ATP player. So I do think that even though Kotov's been in good form. Competition, you could argue, has been relatively weak. Rusevori's been good, but he has faced some tough competition, but he has dropped some sets. Went to three sets in each of the first two rounds. Three sets against Bonzi, three sets against Kashanov. So the point is is no stranger to having some ups and downs in his games, uh, in his matches, because he hits a lot of unforced errors. Kotov is pretty patient, and I do think that you can see this matchup being a very competitive one. I am going to toss the head-to-head meetings in the garbage because, once again, they were in 2019, which tells me nothing. So I'm going to pass on those two previous meetings. Drusvori buried uh, Kotov in. Give me a very close match, a very fun match, and I do think plus 135 for the match to go three. Drusvori to repeat the same script and to go the distance is worth something, and that will be my dog. So once again, my lock and my picks for the show. The lock is going to be on Nadal and Thompson under. 21 and a half games at, at a minus 130. 
and my dog will be Kotov and Rusevori over two and a half sets at plus 135. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we're back once again for the semifinals in Brisbane and in Hong Kong. Until then, though, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of other podcasts at the network. Find me on the NBA show, the NFL show. Get the point. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.